Welcome to another episode of Music Life Radio. I am your host, Dan Sauter. Music Life Radio is a free podcast available on iTunes and your interwebs at musicliferadio.com, and it features interviews and stories about and related to music. Sempre un amabile, leggiadro viso, un pianto in riso, e menzognero. La donna è mobile, qua più malavento, muta la cento, e di pensier, e di pensier, e All right, well, welcome to Music Life Radio. My name is Eric Kaur from the band Gunpowder, and I'm here today interviewing opera singer and uh, star of the stage, Ben Bongers. <laughs> so I'd like to start. You came from a Nebraska, from the farm, farm country, and you've gone all the way to the opera stage all over Europe, all over the United States. And I'd love to hear a little bit about how that journey happened, how it began, I guess, because... <laughs> how this corn hit get on the opera stage. Yeah, yeah I mean, I grew up around a, a lot of cornfields in Wisconsin, and, <laughs> and there wasn't a lot of opera where I grew up. No, I got confused. I heard Opry, and I thought it was opera. You know, it was one of those. No, I, I was a kid like any other. Uh, rambunctious, loved playing, running around out in the cornfields, following Dad around, getting on the tractor with him. Learn how to drive when you're, you know, eight or nine years old on the farm and that type of thing. And I'd get home, uh, come off the school bus, and we were about six miles from town. And our nearest neighbors were a half mile away. And they were down this hill uh, where the pasture was, and they were on the other side of the creek. Uh, Thadals were their last name. And so I'd, I'd get over there, and I'd get on top of the hill, and they were at the bottom of the hill. And, hey, guys, why'd you get on number four? <laughs> and I wait a couple of seconds, and I hear back, what? Number four. And we'd go back and forth for hours like this. Just across a half-mile farm field, we'd yell back and forth for a couple of hours. And I guess, you know, through the water or whatever the hell it was, my, my diaphragm, you know, got pretty strong out of that. <laughs> and then, you know, as time goes on, you sing in church choir, and you sing in church, and you, you uh, go to high school and junior high, and they tell you, okay, well, Let's see if you can sing. So you start singing something. They're like, okay, you can carry a tune. Now let's try this. And you, it just expands. And uh, basically, I was going full guns for architecture. That was what my first degree is in. Mm -hmm. And uh, my choir master in high school said, oh, well, you know, you're in, the, you're in the special choir here in high school and everything, and I'm having a Christmas party. Come on over. So the whole choir treks over to his house. And he pulls me off to the side and he goes, here, I want to sit you down in front of the TV and I want you to watch this guy. I think you'd do some of this stuff. Like, really? I, I'm here to party. I don't want to sit down and watch. This. No, no, no. Sit down. Trust me on this. So I sit down and turns on Luciano Pavarotti, the Christmas special that he mm -hmm. did up in Canada. 
absolutely mesmerized. I was like, holy cow, how does this guy make these sounds? So I sat there and I watched that for a while. I'm like, okay, that, that's pretty cool. So come out of that going, all right, this is, this is pretty cool stuff. So he helps me out and he says, okay, you realize you can get music scholarships and get an architecture degree at the same time. So have the music scholarship pay for the architecture degree. Like sold, let's do it. So he taught me a few areas and I went around to different colleges and got into Kansas State University where I could actually double major in architecture and in music. And I'm like, go to the music school. Okay, great. Hit the music school, sing. Did chorus my first semester. I was happy because I had all this studio time over in architecture. All I had to do was learn these choruses, and that was it. Come back the next semester. Well, we have this show called Albert Herring. Okay, great. Put me in the chorus. Uh, you don't understand. There is no chorus. What? No chorus. I got to learn? Wait, 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 wait. So you no. had always done group singing up to that point? Yeah, I'd always done the chorus okay. stuff. I'd done a few solos here and there, but it was mostly chorus stuff. But I had a big voice that everybody would follow. It was one of those kind of deals. So they were like, uh, there is no chorus. You have to actually audition for a role. I'm like, no, 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 no. Chorus. I haven't got time for this. No, you're <laughs> going to have to do this. So fine. I audition, and sure enough, I get one of the leads. I'm like, ah, there goes all my studio time right down the drain. But I caught the bug. I caught the bug of being on stage and actually creating roles and actually doing this opera thing. And it was Albert Herring, which is, it's not like Mozart. I mean, it's, it's kind of tough music. It's all over the place. It's crazy. But caught the bug from there and finished out the opera degree and decided, nah, you know what? Kind of want to keep following this music thing. So I went back and got an education degree, taught for a while, but kept taking voice lessons and trying to you you don't really jump right into opera at the age of 22. I mean, it, it has to mature, and you really have to really establish what the voice is going to do. And it took a little extra time, but I sang with Lyric Opera of Kansas City's Chorus and did some small roles there, and then branched out a little bit and went to Utah Festival Opera in Logan, Utah, and did some things there in Utah Opera, and all of a sudden, okay, well, I'm going to do this full-time now. Bye. See you later, teaching. Have fun. So what kind of music were you listening to when you were younger then? And and when was when did you first hear opera? Was it the, the, the Christmas thing that you were opera, talking about? Yeah, I, opera was never a thing that I really listened to around the house. I mean, we knew there was this thing called opera, but I had no idea what it was really until high school. I uh, had a great, great junior high and high school music teacher, uh, chorus teachers, uh, that exposed us to different things like opera. Um but really caught the bug when my high school choir teacher actually took an interest in me and said, hey, I think this is something you ca- you know really could do. And from there, it snowballed. So we have him to blame, Tom Walker. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that, that's a pretty good thing to be blamed for, I think. I, I think so. I think so. So um, then you went, you went from architecture degree, mm-hmm. which I, I'm assuming that – just fell by the wayside then. Pretty much. So you went right Pretty into much, teaching yeah. music, right? Pretty much, yeah. So, and then you were teaching, I think you said you were teaching in Kansas City? Taught in Kansas City at St. Pius X High School. Yeah. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? You've mentioned oh, sure. it to me before. It's, it's <laughs> well, like a pretty, we'll, we'll keep it pretty, above board. It sounded like a pretty colorful experience. <laughs> it, though, was, it was a little colorful back in those days. Uh, Pius X High School was right across the street from uh, St. Patrick's Elementary School, which has been in the news as of late, not in a good way. They had a priest... And we won't get into any of that. But um, 
It was a good situation. It was a really tough situation because I was in the elementary school as well as the high school, as well as doing some college things. So it was 6.30 in the morning in school all the way through sometimes 9 o'clock at night, night after night after night, then canter the Saturday and Sunday masses. And, oh, yeah, by the way, back to school Monday morning. So it was solid all the way through. And then did their summer care, uh, daycare program of 65 kids as well. So kind of reached a little bit of burnout doing that. But I actually continued doing shows, operas at the same time. So it was nonstop. But Pius X and St. Patrick's Elementary were known at the time, and this was, I'm sure this has all been cleaned up by now. <clears throat> it was known as the Mafia Schools. I mean, we had, we had Mafia bosses there that set their kids there, literally, uh, because it was a good Catholic education, uh, but they also knew that nobody's going to rat them out. So, but so yeah, was, there was just an understanding at the school that... Everybody knew there was a business and what the business was, Correct. and we don't talk about it. Correct. It's, and you know, I, I grew up Catholic, so I understand the kind of sweeping it under the rug. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, you, it's it's more of okay. Well, if you have anything to say, say it to Father. You know, you don't you don't you don't divulge these things out here in the public. We take care of our own, and right. it's a little it's our own little family, and we take care of our own little family problems. So yeah. But, I mean, it's a good place. They they eventually turned uh, St. Pius X High School into a college prep school. So, like I said, many things have changed since those days. But it's good. It's a good place. Any any stories you feel comfortable oh, sure. sharing I mean, from that experience? Well, I'm teaching a, uh, a history class uh, at one of the schools. I won't mention which of the two schools. But I was teaching a history class, and God love him. Uh, we'll call him Vito, just for a for a name. <laughs> That's a great name. <laughs> uh, Vito would come in to me, and uh, poor Vito was just dropping and dropping and dropping in grades. He'd go from a B to a C to a C minus to a D. He was going to flunk. There was no question. And we're at, we're at midterm. I'm like, Vito, you got to get this grade up. Man, what, what's going on? Nah, it doesn't matter. I'm going to the family business. Come on, Vito. What, what kind of family business are you dealing with here? Nah, it doesn't matter. We're going, I'm going to the family business. History doesn't matter. I'm like, come on, Vito. What is your family business? Every business has to know some history of some kind. My dad's a hitman. Dead silence. <laughs> like, oh man, I gotta spin this quick. Well, okay, you don't think your dad does a history on who he's gonna hit? Come on. He's gotta know when they're coming, when they're going. He's gotta go to this place to check the place out. He's gotta know all the history. Well, we eke the kid out with a C minus, and his dad comes in at the end of the term. I'm like, oh, I am so dead. I am so going to be broken-thumbed here. Well, yeah, There's a certain information you just don't want to be partial to. No, you know, no, I just don't want to know these things. Yeah. Don't want to know these things. He goes, he comes walking in hat in hand. He goes, I, I really got to talk to you. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> all right, this is it. You know, I'm, is my will written? Yep, okay, all right, fine. So I'll go off to the side. Yes, sir. What? <laughs> there, there's no other word, no other name yeah. but sir at this point. Yes, sir. Just wanted to thank you for uh, straightening my kid out here. He's uh, he's he's not going to follow in my footsteps. Just to let you know, and uh, well, well, thank you. I think we straightened him out. I'm like, oh, okay, thank you. I I, I think I, I can walk away now. Yeah, yeah, you're a good guy as far as I'm concerned. And he slaps me across the back, and I like walk away very quietly with a big smile, going, "Oh, thank you, God, thank you, God, thank you, God." Yeah, it was interesting. Yeah, that that would uh, shake me a little bit. Just a bit. Yeah, just a bit. So I, I know I, uh, as, a, as a teacher, I'm sometimes amazed at what comes from my students. And sometimes I, I've actually said to them, 
I don't think you actually want me to know this information. <laughs> yeah, that's be, be very careful true. about what you disclose because I don't want to be. I don't want to be. I don't want to have the privilege of knowing this. Yeah, I really exactly. don't. You know. Well, and in this day and age too, you a lot of those things that you find out you, now, you're legally bound to report. Luckily, in that day and age, hadn't quite become that that crucial. And yeah, what's worse is young people these days don't have a sense of self. There's there's self disclosure. They're doing it all the time on Facebook, right. on Twitter, and it's. Right. This this separation that we grew up with where you actually have a private self and a public self seems to have merged into one cyber self that is just right. constantly uh, disclosing. Right. And they have no sense of filter anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm, accumulative, we're what, 800 years old in this room right now? Back in my day. <laughs> Back in the day when we sang in caves. That's right. Where the first <laughs> opera happened. I was there. <laughs> So I'm just curious, like, what is the stuff that you like to listen to when you're not wow. doing opera? That's like the most eclectic question. First off, I never listen to opera unless I'm working on it. Or very rarely. I can't yeah. say never, but I very rarely listen to it. I've got a lot of friends that have got recordings out there, and I'll listen to their recordings every once in a while, that type of thing. But, I mean, you jump in my car, and it could be anything from country music to old German music to punk rock to, you know, classic rock. To you name it, I literally listen to anything and everything. My favorite thing is when I go back to Europe, I'll just punch just punch any button on the car that I'm driving. Whatever comes up, I listen to it for like 20 minutes and then shift over to the next one. And trust me, you get into Bavaria and man, there's some really wacky yodelers out there. <laughs> I remember being in Germany and especially the tourist areas. Every bar that could afford it had some kind of polka thing. Oh, yeah. Even if it was a guy with a drum machine and a keyboard. Oh, yeah. Going. Tum, 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 oh, yeah. Tum, you know. And the fun part is now most of them are Turkish and Romanian that are doing that on the street. Seriously. <laughs> I love it. Honest to God, it's the strangest thing. It's like, hey, that's a school. That's a school. Uh, thank you very much. Where are you from? <laughs> Bulgaria. <laughs> Seriously, I swear to God. It's funny. It's really hysterical. None of them are German. That's when I was a kid. My, you know, my parents were over there as GIs, right. and uh, the only time you saw somebody in lederhosen yeah. was if they were an American GI's son like me. Right. And there's pictures of me in my lederhosen. So yeah. I, I exactly. totally understand. Oh, yeah. It's like exactly kind of how c cultures adopt other things, and yeah, and, that's uh, very true. So we were talking about about teaching a little bit before, and you were talking mm -hmm. about you you still do teaching, yes? I do master classes and that type of stuff when I can. Yeah. Absolutely. Now we were talking earlier about how. For a lot of people, American Idol has become the standard of, of, of greatness in our society. And, <laughs> and you know, where yeah. you can get up in front of a karaoke machine in front of millions of people and sing your heart out. And unlike the people on there, you're actually trained to communicate right. with people about what they're doing. And what do you find when you talk to people these days? Because this, I, it seems to me that the standard has really dropped a lot. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. In what we consider quality in music. Yeah, I'll agree with that. And so, how do you deal with that when you're actually interacting with people? It depends on the forum. Uh, for me, first off, for all of you that are out there listening, Phantom of the Opera is not an opera. <laughs> Get over it. Okay? It's great musical theater. It's not an opera. Um, no, Damn, it's I, the only one I own. <laughs> Which is totally fine. I own it as well. And I've sung, you know, all the tunes out of it a thousand and one times at weddings and funerals and every other known thing to man. No, um, it, it depends on the, it depends on the forum, honestly. And I mean, I was just, I just did a world premiere in Roanoke, Virginia. And the world premiere was the the very first actually written to be bluegrass opera. Wow. I, 
I hope it sees the light of day again, but it'll be interesting because it was all in chord symbols. It had nothing to do with an opera, actual traditional opera score, like what you have sitting right. next to you. It was, it was literally G7, G7, A5. You know, it was just, it was, it was just chord symbols. It had nothing to do with the actual piano vocal score. Yeah. Really interesting project, really cool project. But while I was there, I did a, did a master class, which I do a lot of places when I go to sing. And I told him flat out, you know, come one, come all, whoever wants to do this master class, come on in. So I had anything from, wow, a nine-year-old that wanted to be the new Char- in the Charlotte Church or whoever the new Yankovic or whoever it is, the kid that's singing. And I was like, yeah, honey, no, don't do it. Don't do it. You're, you're a cute kid. Your voice will mature. It will be fine. But trying to do the stuff that we do as adults, you're going to damage the little vocal cords you have. Your vocal cords are only as large as your thumbnail, and they're as thick as two pieces of paper put together. Once you damage them, that's it. You don't get another set. It's not like teeth, okay? You don't get another set growing in when you're 16. So you got to take care of what you got. And so don't do that to yourself now. You're going to stretch them out, or you're going to, you're going to tear something, and you're done. So we got her to realize that, yeah, maybe not right now. Uh, and then we worked with a couple of opera singers that you know have some promise. They're they're on the way. Worked with a guy, um, John McBroom is his name. Swear to God, he's a cross between Gordon Lightfoot and and John Denver. It's this amazing sound. He's in a in a bluegrass band by the name of Blue Mule. So all mm-hmm. y'all out there, look up Blue Mule on iTunes. Phenomenal group. Really, really great cool. sound. He came in and had absolutely everybody in the room in tears. I'm like, I have nothing to say. That's it. Go do it. You know. You get you got the idea. What we're doing here is we are expressing emotion. We take written words, we figure out what the emotion is in those words, and we translate that emotion that we're reading into song, and that song we manipulate in whatever means it takes to create an emotional event in the audience. That's all it is. That's all that's all really singing in general is. On the operatic stage is bigger than life. That's the whole idea of opera. Uh, but in general, yeah, the standards have dropped considerably. Anybody can get up there with a microphone anymore and, and wail away, and it's supposed to be art. Yeah. And in this day and age, I know I'm going to step on a lot of toes here, but when you go out, and kids, forgive me, but if you're nine years old and you play soccer and every kid on every team gets a trophy for playing soccer... Yeah, there is no winner, there's no loser. That 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 doesn't work. It's not real. It's not real. There you can't do that. You have to strive to become better. If you don't strive to become better, you go back to the caveman days, okay? Strive to become better. There has to be a standard of some kind that you want to achieve. And it's the same thing in music. You have to have that standard. Yeah, I I do find that's one of the challenges working with kids these days is that they are so used to being told great job. Yeah. That criticism tends to fall on deaf ears. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just not really even heard. It's just kind of like, okay, well, I heard the great job part. Yeah, right, right. But I'm trying to get you to what you have to work on, you know. Right. Well, I had um, one girl in particular. She came in. She was another about 16-year-old and thought she was going to be the next big thing. In the first eight bars, she went through five keys. And I'm like, yeah, okay, uh, we're going to stop right there. And uh, may I say that totally sucked. <laughs> and she looked at me like I was joking. I go, no, that really did suck. You didn't think it sucked? Really? <laughs> Broke into tears. I'm like, okay, 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 all right. I'm not going to backpedal. It did suck, but let's see if we can fix it. 
Okay, and it took a good 40 minutes, but we put her back together again in a way that she could actually carry a tune and stay kind of within one key. And now it's up to her that she needs to go out on her own and work on it. They, they don't want to put any time in on their own. They want somebody to fix them and send them out and make them, you know, a million dollars. They got to put in all the hours themselves in a practice room somewhere. They don't want to do that. Yeah. No, I, I'm just appalled when I say, like, we were talking again earlier about seeing shows like American Idol where it's, mm-hmm. these people are singing in front of millions of people and I'm listening to it going, it's not that good. Right. And I think right. one of the things you brought up is a lot of times what's missing for me when I see it, it's, I don't, I don't feel it. Right. That's the whole point. There's a, there's sometimes some of them will actually have a technical mastery, but it's very rare when I'm actually feeling the music. Right. Well, and that was, uh, what was her name? Um, gal from Scotland, older gal that, that blew everybody away because they didn't think she would be oh, the big thing. I know who you're talking about. Um, uh, I can't think of her name, save my life. But uh, she's made several albums now, so on and so forth. She, to me, is like half of the opera singers I know. They all look like her. Okay. And it's somebody who really moves you. And opera originally, I mean, close your eyes and listen to it. Listen to the words. Listen to the expression will make people cry. It's when you open your eyes and go, wow, I can't look at this anymore. That's when, you know, you got to do something about it. But the whole thing comes down to the poetry, the words that are there. And the whole job of opera is to express those words and make you feel something. Yeah, that's always been the key. I know for me as a listener to music is when I hear music that I emotionally connect to, Mm -hmm. it's very hard for me to analyze the music. Right. I'll have to listen to it over and over again because even if I'm concentrating on analyzing the music, within a few bars of it, I'm lost again. Right. It's carrying me somewhere. It's taking me someplace. And that to me is a symbol of like something's going right there. Exactly. Exactly. You know, it may not be the most technically perfect thing, but something is, is, is working right. at some level. Well, and that's, I mean, the, the actual, okay, give you a quick history buff stuff. Uh, opera started basically from a couple of guys, actually it was five guys uh, in Florence, got together, and one, they thought that art of the day sucked, just like we do today. This art is just bad. These kids don't know what they're doing, blah, blah, blah. Wasn't it great back in Greece? See, well, let's, let's get the big guy by the name of May. He's the Greek scholar of today. Let's pull him into our group. And what did the Greeks do? Because they obviously did it fantastic and all better. Well, the Greeks had a thing, you know, when they did a play, they had, it's called an opus or an opera. They work, translated. And well, see here, they say they had a chorus. Oh, well, if they had a chorus, they must have sung it. Well, let's see if we can create an opera like they did. So they went out and they a guy by the name of Perry, Giacomo Perry, and a guy by the name of Caccini got together and wrote Eurydice, the story of Eurydice, you know, the whole, the whole tragedy. And basically, all they did was they hired the best poet of the day who wrote a long poem. They set the poem to basic music, just mm-hmm. a harpsichord, or not even a harpsichord. It was at, actually at that time a cello um, and a harpsichord. And they just sang these lines all the way through these words, and at the very end, they put a chorus in. That was it. But it was really moving, even for the day, because they put emotion into the words through the music. And that's, that's literally beginnings of opera. So it's basically nothing more than a stage play with music put to it. Now, are we talking Renaissance period? Uh, Renaissance, this? this is 16, no, this is 1597. 
So kind of right at the end of the Dark Ages, right at the right, dawn right of mid the, Yeah, it's, I guess it'd be kind of on the cusp there. Yeah. yeah, and then from there you go into the Baroque period. Right after that is into the Baroque. Yeah. Um, you so I'm curious to bring us back to the yeah. modern age for a moment for too. It. Is is so? What do you think of some of the modern music that's coming out today? I mean, you know, I mean, what's some of your critiques on some of it? I think there's a lot of great stuff out there. I think there's stuff that's schlock. It's it. The, the one thing you can count on in music is it changes, but it never changes. There's always been pop music. There will always be pop music. There's always been the classics. Now, the classics could be Beethoven, could be Wagner, could be Barry Manilow in somebody's mind, could be Journey in some people's mind, could be Pink Floyd, could be whoever, could be Johnny Cash. There's always that classic that created something new and different or that everybody was gravitating toward. You, I know, love Johnny Cash. I do oh, as yeah. well. To me, that, especially as he got older in his last album, if you were to listen to it without knowing the history of Johnny Cash, you would say it's some old man just kind of broken down and putting his last thoughts into a microphone. Why on God's name would I want to listen to that? Until you listen to it and know the history of it, yeah. and then listen to it again and listen to it again, and you hear the raw emotion. Oh, it's so painful. It's not pretty. Yeah. But you know what? You're moved by it. Oh, completely. And sold millions of albums on account of that emotion. People that are accountants, people that are, and not to put down accountants or any of the other forms <laughs> that I'm going to say right now, but you know, the accountant that sits there and works with numbers all day, God love them. I have no acumen for that whatsoever. Or the person that sits in a lawyer's office or in a doctor's office and just sees patients day after day after day. They're not typically dealing with their own personal emotions. And what we do as entertainers, as punk rockers, as an opera singer, as you know, a producer of, of live drama for radio, what you do is you actually create an emotion that draws these emotions out of these people. You create the right situation for their emotions to come out. That's what we do. Yeah, I have to say, I mean, there are some people I've heard recently, even like uh, we were talking CeeLo is yeah. just a phenomenal voice. Totally agree. Um, Adele, I totally think, is agree. just really, I, every time I hear it, just moves me. I'm like, right. wow. It's, right. You, know, you feel the raw emotion. There. You do, yeah. It's, and it's, 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 it, it's transcendent in a way. It, it, it crosses mm -hmm. boundaries and breaks through things in a mm -hmm. in a really powerful way. Um, you know, seeing as we're sitting in 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 in, in Oakland right now, right. in kind of the uh, the epicenter of, of rap music. Oh. Um, <laughs> <laughs> okay, slash so stop. A, screeching that tires was a here. Long sigh. Screeching tires here. <laughs> Wait a minute, crash. Okay, number one, I have the highest regard and highest respect for rap. Let me say that up front because I don't want to get you know all the threats and all the letters, <laughs> but here it goes. Rap is not music, okay? Uh, sorry for all y'all out there listening to think it is. It's not music. The basic definition of music is it is an extension of speech. Okay, so far we got, we got rap going here that has rhythm, okay? That part rap's got. That also changes in tonality and pitch. Eh, rap ain't got it. Okay? Rap is poetry. It was always poetry. There was a Sunday morning special and there was a 60-minute special way back that I saw online in the 70s when rap really first started here in Oakland. And they did this whole thing about rap in L.A. and in Oakland both. Um, 
this new art form of, you know, the people. And it was really cool, but they said it flat out. No, 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 man, we ain't music. We are poetry. We are poetry of the people. Well, how did it become music? Pretty simple. They didn't have any way to market it. So they took it, since it was a recording medium, put it on records. Yes, they actually, it's old enough to be on records. Then put it on tapes and put it on CDs and DVDs and everything else and had a place to market it in the record stores, in the music stores. Okay? That's how it became synonymous with music. But it's not music. It's a, it now... Now rap has all this musical background. They'll take a piece of rap, they'll rap away for a good two, three minutes, and they'll throw in a couple of singers that do a couple of nice little tuny things, and then they'll back out of it with a little more rap. But originally and fundamentally, it's not music. It is poetry. It's funny, I have friends who are into rap music who will sometimes play me snippets of it and go, and it, it, it started out kind of funny because I'd, I'd hear somebody go, oh, God, I love that song. They're like, Oh, you like this? No, no, the song that they're using to make this with. Yeah, exactly. Like, exactly. What do you mean? I'm like, well, that's an old uh, David Bowie tune. Right. That's an old, and they'll go, what? And right. so it's all funny. So you get this this dialogue going, which I found really fascinating, where it would be, oh, listen to this. What is this song? Oh, well, that's this. Right. Okay, I want to check that out now. So I find right. it interesting because, it's, it's again, it's, it's it does lead to people exploring other things and then opening up themselves too to other music exactly and that's and that that part of it i'm 100 percent for i'm 100 yeah. i mean it's like okay i'll do uh, la donna immobile which is from rigoletto it's a big aria uh and i i come out with that and it's like i'm going to do this aria for you now by the name of la donna immobile and everybody's like yeah whatever and this is for you know high school kids right. or audiences that don't know opera like trust me you'll know it so they'll, they'll hear the little organ grinder in the in the piano or in the orchestra I was like, okay, any of you that have ever heard this, raise your hand on cartoons with Bugs Bunny. La donna mobile, qual più malvento. I bet you've seen this on a spaghetti commercial. Yeah, there you go. So, um, I mean, all these tunes come back around and around. Again, we're talking about the classics. Yeah. They come back around. They're changed, but they're still there. Yeah, I remember seeing P. Diddy rapping over a uh, a, uh, Led Zeppelin riff once. Absolutely. And... The rift was fantastic. Right. And it was funny because I was kind of enthralled by the experience because it was interesting to see somebody merging these things. Exactly. You know, so. And that's what you're going to see in opera coming up. Actually, it's, it started probably 10 years ago. You, it's, it's amazing. Almost any opera company, including SFO, including the Met, including, uh, used to be called Berkeley Opera, now it's West Edge Opera, mm-hmm. uh, anything in the local area or actually nationwide, worldwide now, they're combining so many modern technologies on stage. They have video screens that cover the entire back of the stage, and they'll actually have live projection of certain things going on while the singers are downstage, while the orchestra is using, of all things, iPads instead of paper. They don't flip paper anymore in some of these pits. They have a foot pedal, and they're sawing away on the violin. They don't have to take their hands off the violin to turn the page anymore. They step on the foot pedal, and the iPad turns the page for them. I mean... Technology is taking over everything. And trust me, if Beethoven, if Mozart, if Monteverdi had these things, they'd be on the bandwagon right now with it. Oh, they'd yeah. love it. They'd love, I mean, can you imagine Beethoven with a synthesizer? Come on. 
It would be amazing. It'd be, it'd, be, it'd be a hit. Well, I remember when it was a hit back in the 70s when somebody took, was it Beethoven's Fifth yeah, and turned it into yeah. the disco song? Right. Exactly. I remember when that came out, it was just, it was huge. It was all Absolutely. of a sudden, Beethoven was like Absolutely. new and exciting again. You know? Absolutely. I don't Absolutely. remember who did it anymore. I just remember I, when they did but it. you it was, remember the tune, right? I remember the tune. It was like, it was everywhere. Exactly. And it, it's it, you always get you get the revolution all over again type thing. It's uh, Osola Mio turned into um, it's now or never. It, it's oh, uh, oh that's it's what that now is. or never. Okay. It's Osola Mio. It, it, it's the same tune. They took the tune, changed the words, and then gave it to a pop singer of the day. That's it. Yeah, great tunes are endless. They, that's true. Yeah. Um, what do you, what are some of the things I mean, I'm 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 doing a little hop hopping about again hop but away, hip um hop. just as hearing you sing and hearing opera sing and we you know you've shown me these massive tombs I I don't even I don't even feel comfortable <laughs> calling them books anymore I mean right if if anybody saw these I mean they're at least an inch thick and and uh you know yeah 800 900 they're, 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 they're sure. probably made of gold they're so heavy you know it's it's uh <laughs> And then when I open them up, I'm actually frightened. I mean, it feels like the page is jumping at me. Right. It's it's uh, a lot of black. It reminds me of the Matrix or something. You know, right. you see all these things falling on the screen. But um, what what are the things that you do first off as an opera singer to take care of your voice? Like, how do you actually? This is your primary instrument, mm-hmm. and you know, I, I just see people as they go through their day, even struggling with their voices. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yet your voice is just, it's on, and it's on at a level that most people couldn't even comprehend. So, Well, you do take care of it, but, I mean, I've been doing it a while, too. Um, so it's it becomes second nature. There are, th- there are certain things you do, and it's really funny. The Europeans speak up here all the time with their voices. They're, they're in this higher timbre of tone. When they speak, they're up here. Americans have what's called the John Wayne Complex. We all want to talk down here, and we all want to be masculine, and it, the women and the men both. We, we all have the John Wayne complex, and it's technically actually called that. Um, basically, I speak or try to speak in the range that puts no extra pressure on the voice. None. It's it's This is the relaxed state. If I want to, if I want to go into my NPR voice, I can, and I have. If I want to become the teacher, I put a little more focus in the voice and let more sound out, become very clipped with the sounds, but if you want to relax and save the voice, you you find a happy medium. You know where the sweet spot is as far as as far as uh, resonance in the voice, and you let that do the work. Not more air through the cords, not more force in the voice, but you let the resonance carry your voice instead. That, that's that's the main thing. And then drink coffee in the morning, and you know whatever else you want to. Scotch is always good. <laughs> <laughs> wine whatever that's fine it lubricates lubricates you know yeah i know i know as a singer it's like i'm constantly drinking just oh yeah i mean you know just i'm i'm overly focused on the voice yeah and it's really funny back in the day uh opera singers were distracted they they were told not to drink as much water so they drank wine instead or they drink wine cut with water all mm-hmm. day long and now opera singers are told to drink you know a gallon of water a day because it, it lubricates everything and keeps everything moist Basically, drink as much as you feel comfortable with. If you feel like your voice is getting dry, shut up. If you feel like <laughs> if you feel like it's really really getting dry, have a shot of water if you want to. Uh, but yeah, just don't overuse it and don't abuse it. Don't start yelling and screaming over the top. When you start when you start feeling like it's getting raspy, yeah, you're doing the wrong thing. 
when when I sing, and I can sing, you know, six, seven, eight hours a day, no problem. What it is is a balancing act. Um, this is this is kind of a visual, but I think you can see it in your own mind. Imagine you have a rubber band, and you anchor the rubber band with your right thumb and forefinger, and you grab the top of the rubber band with your left forefinger and thumb, and you stretch it up. Now, if you move up your right hand with it or up and down and just kind of bounce around all over the place, there's no anchor point. It just kind of moves around, and it's all over the place. Well, that's like, if I want to talk like this, I have no anchor point. My voice is just, you know, some cartoon character. If I anchor it and I use my diaphragm way down below the belly button there, just hang on to it and just make it a little more solid, tighten it up a little bit, tighten the belly up, that's like holding that bottom thumb and forefinger. And then I take it on and I stretch the cords up and I just kind of relax the larynx up and I stretch it up and I stretch a rubber band higher and higher and higher and then I add a tone behind it and it'll carry for, you know, as long and far as it needs to. But that's all it amounts to. I'm anchored in one respect, right. in one place. I'm anchored in one place, and then everything is built or stretched over the top of that point. And you have to know how far you can stretch. You can't go past that one particular point. It's a balancing act. It's it's a very simple balancing act. You mentioned the John Wayne complex. It reminded me of a story I heard years ago, um, and it may or may not even be true. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I think I hear things, and then I like telling stories, and my mind turns them into new stories. There but you go. I heard the story about Rock Hudson. Right. And Rock Hudson was, you know, the the epitome of the masculine male actor. And he had the deep, rich, baritone voice. And and apparently when he first wanted to get into acting, his voice was actually much higher range. Mm -hmm. And someone told him to go into the mountains and scream as much as he could. Is this a... Am I, I? I've heard this somewhere before. Okay, I I, I've okay. heard it so far exactly the same. All so. right, and then apparently the strain actually somehow managed to drop his voice some. Which, right? Is this something you would actually suggest to an aspiring singer? Uh, <laughs> no, I've done it, but no, no, I wouldn't suggest that at all. I'd suggest you find a decent voice teacher that you know has some credentials to him, or better yet. Get into an organized situation. Church choir, if you're not into the church choir scene, get into boys' choir or men's choir, women's choir, whatever. Uh, and just just play around. Play around and sing and sing and sing and sing. If you're singing for 15 minutes and you're getting hoarse, you know there's something wrong. Don't do that. Step back. Rework it. Talk to somebody that you really admire that does sing well and emulate them sound not try to sound exactly like them but try to produce the tone like they produce the tone watch them uh luciano pavarotti when he first really started and started touring around uh, was in australia of all places with joan sutherland and every single they must have done 60 to 70 shows in australia just little town here little town there big opera house little town there little town there Every single night he was off stage just watching her, not even listening, just watching her. And Richard Bonning was the conductor, and that was also Joan's husband, and said, I see you off stage every night. What are you doing? I'm watching the way she breathes. All of the sound is created from the breath. I need to figure out how she breathes so I can make my voice do what she does. And after like two years of this nonstop just watching how she breathed, Pavarotti really hit it big. He had a gorgeous sound to begin with, but by watching how to use the breath and how to make that breath work for you instead of manipulating it, 
he learned how to sing the way he did. Somebody uh, was mentioning me a while back, uh, Sinatra Mm -hmm. did a similar thing where every verse would always start with a breath and he would hold that breath so that um, there was this, this, this continuation through it. Right. And it, it allowed you to flow with his voice. One of the things that made his voice so rich and, and captivating. And he's, he was a master of it because he, if you listen, and you may like him, you may not. You may like the lounge sound, you may not. That's not the point. The point is, listen to the way he produces the tone. If you listen to anything he does, he's got a lot of air coming out, and then he tags the sound onto that airstream. And by doing that, you have this nice flow of sound that's steady, constant, mm-hmm. never wavers. And then he just kind of drops the words over the top of that and the sounds over the top of that. But it's all based on that breath. That's exactly right. Yeah. yeah I, I love the lounge sound. Myself. No, I do too. I, just, I do too. I, uh, in fact, I was listening to it the other night on the iPad. Yeah, I remember actually there was time where, I think in the, in the early 80s, a lot of punk bands were actually doing lounge versions of their own songs, which was awesome. It was hilarious, yeah, yeah. but it was... I agree. You know... Um, what, what what were some of your, I mean, uh, I'm sure over the years that you've encountered every crazy thing. Because, I mean, one of my experiences being in music, and I've been on the production end of things, I've been, you know, putting on shows, everything. Right. Not only if it can go wrong, it will go wrong. Oh, yeah. But it will go wrong in spades. Oh, yeah. And so you pretty much have to be MacGyver. I mean, you have yeah. to be the, the guy from 24. I mean, you have to be, like, able to just do anything at a moment's notice. Oh, yeah. Because... The show that people are seeing is wonderful, but oftentimes the show that you're experiencing is sheer living hell. Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I, I've I've experienced anything from walk out on stage and all of a sudden the seam goes from the stem to stern of your pants goes, <laughs> and you're going to be out there for the next two hours, pal. He was like, oh dear God, above. And then you get into situations where your director. <laughs> Your director has this total and utter idea that's not your own, like going to Nashville, Tennessee, the bastion of, you know, men are men and sheep are scared. I'm kidding, Nashville. (laughs) I love you dearly. Um, And you have a director that wants you to do La Traviata, and one of the characters in Traviata is the Gaston, who's kind of the character that creates all the parties that go from house Mm -hmm. to house to house. And he wants you a flaming flamboyant queen (laughs) in Nashville. Yeah. Okay. Did it, done it. Thank you, and very much. High heels to match. Thank you. High heels on a rake stage that is in like on a 12 oh degree angle. God. Women, I don't know how you do it. Thank God you do. I can't. Anyway. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, vocal things. You have a cold, but you have to sing anyway. Uh, having pneumonia and having to sing. That one really blows in more than one way. Having uh, Having opposite singers... Who, God love you all, I do, but eat t- literally by the spoon garlic before they walk out on stage. <laughs> yeah, love you guys. Love the way you oh, sound. If you need the garlic, you know, use those garlic tablets. Don't actually chew the garlic. Yeah, You know, one way to counter that is, is uh, I-, I love garlic. Oh, I do too. And I always tell my partner when we're out to eat, I said, if you don't eat at least a piece of this garlic, you will hate me for at least 24 hours. And we will argue over this. Oh, yeah. and like, just the tiniest piece yeah. will neutralize me. But if you don't... Oh, yeah, it's going to be hell to pay. I'm a nightmare. Yeah. And yeah. I, it yeah. won't bother me in the least. No. In fact, I'll enjoy it. Yeah. The occasional belch, you know. The, exactly. The memories. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Thanks for the memories. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, so. I'm right there with you. Oh, yeah. Now, we... And then it's... 
you get to be a tight enough family in an opera world that there are freaky things that no normal human being would ever understand. I mean, for instance, you get called in on an emergency gig. You know the show inside out. You've done it 12, 14 times. And all of a sudden, oh, okay, you want me to do it when? Tonight? <laughs> okay, you hop on a plane. You go to wherever it's going to be. You've never met anyone in this cast. And the first thing is you come walking out with Floria Tosca and you're doing the Cabaradosi. And she comes in, Mario, Mario, Mario. Son qui. You go up and you give her a big passionate kiss. And after you get off that first act, you walk up to her and go, Hi, my name's Ben. And you shake her hand. <laughs> Or Rosen Cavalier, where there are two women in one's in a pants role, where she's wearing, you know, she is a he in this right. particular production. And they're in bed making out when the curtain goes up with the Marshalline and the Octavian. And I've seen situations where they're up there making out. The Marshalline has her bodice wide open with another woman giving her a kiss. And all of a sudden the curtain comes back in after act one. It's like, hi, by the end of my, my name is so-and-so. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah that, that kind of stuff happens all the time. And for people who... Don't understand no opera very well. I mean, again, I'm looking at these books. Is is uh, this could be something where you're called in at a moment's notice to mm-hmm. know? I don't know how many pages is this of music. I mean, it's, it's oh uh, yeah, you got um, pages four hundred and thirty some pages at yeah, and in what language? That, German, auf Deutsch, uh, in German, in Deutsch. So yeah. Is you have to be proficient in numerous languages. Yeah, about five. Yeah, and have a memory of an elephant to boot. Yeah, basically, what I do for a living is I memorize books. So, and weren't you yeah. doing Russian the other day too? Yeah, we were, oh, when yeah. we were talking. Yep. Oh yeah, yeah. And it's it's really funny because some of these shows I just helped out uh, West Edge Opera on a quick emergency basis. I got called in to do a Ariadne of Naxos, uh, which is in German, and I haven't done the role in. <laughs> 10 years, and I had a week and a half to put it back in the head and actually go out on stage and do it. And I was like, yeah, okay, great. So I sit down with it the first day, go back through it, listen to it one time, like, oh, yeah, I remember this. Go through it with the score about four or five times, and the brain is a funky little device because it really comes back just like that. And the more you've done it, Tosca I've done probably 16 times, Carmen I've done 25 times, you know, so on, whatever show. And the more you do it, it's like, sure, not a problem. I'll be there tomorrow. And you look at the book twice and you keep on going. You don't, you don't even think about it. See, now I, I have to admit, I have Ozzy envy. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if you've seen pictures of Ozzy Osbourne, but oh, yeah. he has these incredibly beautiful teleprompters. Oh, yeah. And like, I have a really bad memory, so I'll come up there and I'll have like uh, you know, little sheets of paper with oh, yeah. notes. Oh, we do and that too. We then when that. the lights go out, but I mean, there's no teleprompter in opera, is there? Uh, yes, there is. Oh, it's, there is. Okay. It's actually not a teleprompter. It's a real prompter. That's where the name came from. Really? There's a little box, little tiny itty bitty box with these gremlins that are about five. In- no, I, the real human beings. <laughs> you could, you could sell me on anything at this point. Yeah, well, there you go. It's a prompt box. Uh, SFO's got one. Major houses have them. Chicago's, mm-hmm. SFO, um, the Met in New York, uh, big houses, most of European houses, big or small have them. There's a person in that prompt box with an opera score, the same score you're singing out of. And if, let's say, the, the line is Winterstürme, Wieken the Vonnemont, okay? You, you'll hear literally three beats before you have to sing it. You're drawing a blank. You have no idea what the word is. You don't know when you come in. You're just standing there in front of thousands of people, and you'll hear Winterstürme. Also, there's actually a person in yeah, there. Yeah, there's a person in there. He'll go like this and go, Winterstürme. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, okay. Absolutely. Oh, yeah, we have them. Now, when you don't have them, 
then it gets a little more precarious. Then you have, I'm not going to mention any names because I will get in trouble on this. People <laughs> that do shows that have pieces of music blown up a little bit and every hard surface and soft surface on that stage have pages of music <laughs> stuck to them per act. Absolutely. And they'll walk behind. I'm going to go change my dress now. You're supposed to go down left. I'm going to go change and I'm going to walk behind here and I sing. La, la, di- oh, yeah, that. Okay. And they're literally reading the music off. The, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Or you have somebody who will remain nameless who's a tenor who just did a show here about three We'll just call ago. them all Ozzy. How's that? That'll Ozzy. Be- Ozzy came in. Ozzy is toward the retirement side of his career. And he actually came up and brought, I kid you not, it's a teleprompter <laughs> on the base of the stage, on the lip of the stage, turned toward him. So that he could literally read the French words as they went by on the teleprompter while he was singing with the orchestra for the first two or three shows. Then he remembered the show, then teleprompter goes away. Wow. Yeah, that's power. That's power. So, but I mean, I guess, uh, you know, the, there's, there's uh, the tricks are in every business. Oh, yeah. And, yeah everybody's got them. And, yeah. And you use, you use tricks just to get through a score. I mean, you, you watch for what the composers do. I mean, Wagner was very good in, in that he would set up everything, all the major words on this page start with W. So you know that, and you just remember which W words follow which. Or they all start with a B, or they'll shift between B, one phrase, and the next phrase, B, the next phrase, and the next phrase. And you just it's constantly a tennis match as to which phrase you're on. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you have all kinds of tricks. So, oh, I, I know what I was going to ask you about. Mm-hmm. is you were talking earlier, and I, that was really helpful for me understanding opera at a deeper level, but mm-hmm. uh, the role of the conductor. Yeah. And how the stage works, and right. we were discussing, you know, what what you actually hear and see, and and what prompts you as a singer up there is right. probably very. You know, my my impression, I always saw like, oh, you hear the music, and you're just up there singing to it, and it's right. awesome. And right, I will tell you honestly, if you listen to a recording of a DVD or watch, you know, anything on TV, these people are phenomenal because they don't hear a damn thing. Okay. Um, what you hear out front is a mix of sound. What we hear on stage is virtually nothing. You'll hear little bits and pieces. And when you open your mouth, keep in mind you're putting, depending on the size of the voice, you're putting out anywhere from 65, 80 decibels up to 140 decibels. You're louder than a jet engine when you're on stage, and especially in your own head. Well, you're not going to hear a little cello plucking away a pizzicato down in the orchestra pit. You're just not going to hear that. So you're watching the conductor, and you're watching that stick that he has in his hand, the baton, and it's going up and down and to the side and back to the middle, hopefully. A lot of them like to do the salad tossing thing. Oh, they're all <laughs> expressive. Yeah, that's nice. Give me a one beat, will you? Um, you? You watch for that because when you're not singing, you hear what key you're in, you know where you're supposed to be, and then you sing strictly by pitch memory. And you sing watching him, and he's giving you where the beats should be. Because so, you're not even hearing like a drum beat or anything, you, right? I mean, you don't like, hear anything. Especially, and San Francisco Opera Stage is flippin' huge. Uh, I made my debut there on a 20-minute notice. Wow. Uh, I come running in there. I didn't even know what role I was doing. I learned two of the roles for the show. I was doing Macbeth. Some people call it the Scottish play because they have, you know, possible uh, possible problems with the uh, people dying on stage, you know, in the original shows. Anyway. Uh, but I come in, and I'm like, not even sure which role I'm doing. Uh, is it Malcolm or is it Macduff? Okay, you're doing this role. Great. 
how long do I have? Uh, right now the curtain's going out. So we're throwing you in costume as you're walking to the stage. We're going to put some stuff in your hair. Oh and God. by the way, go, you're on. Okay, my first entrance is at the back of the stage. So I am approximately 70 feet away from the conductor. You keep in mind that sound disintegrates after 30 feet. What you see and hear at the same time does not happen together anymore after 30 feet. So I'm double that distance now. I have to climb a ladder. So I'm two stories off the ground, standing on one foot on a ladder, looking over a ledge. And I'm singing at the top of my voice as I see the conductor go like this. He's throwing a finger at me going, go. He looks up at me. I look at him. He didn't know I was going to be there. (laughs) Nobody had told the conductor, by the way, we're changing people out. The other guy got sick and you're in now. Wow. He looks at me, turns white, and stutters for a second and just keeps right on conducting. We can't stop this boat. It's, It's taken off now. So that was my debut at San Francisco Opera. It was 20 minutes notice. And just to give people an idea, like how many people would be involved in one of these productions? Wow. Because um, this is not this is nothing. This, this is huge. This is huge, yeah. This is huge. Je- okay, stage management staff is four. Uh, orchestra pit is 85 to 125. Uh, chorus can be up to 120, 140. Uh, backstage personnel, you've got 10 or so, 10 to 20 in electrics. You've got 10 people in sound, and that's not... We, we don't amplify anything in opera. What you hear is just us. There's no microphones picking up our sound and projecting it out front. What sound does is they take sound, raw sound, in either mics below or mics above, and translate the sound from the orchestra to the sides of the stage so we can hopefully hear a little more of the orchestra. Or they record it for, you know, putting on recordings, putting on online, whatever. So there's another 10 or so in sound. Um, then stage hands, what they call here grips. Usually 25 to 45. Flyman as well. Uh, so you're talking well over 350 people just backstage and in the pit. And that's before we get to the lead singers. Wow. Then you got anywhere from usually two to seven of those. Then you get costume people, you got makeup people, you have wig people. And then you get to the back office, which is another 150, 200 people. Then you have people trying to create jobs and create money to pay for the opera that you're coming to see. Yeah, there's a lot of people involved in this. It's a major, major, major industry. It's the most expensive art form on the face of the planet. Wow. Doesn't the word diva come from opera? Diva does come from opera, and diva has gotten a bad rap. Diva simply means the first person or the lead. Oh, okay. Diva is the female. Divo, unlike the 70s group and 80s group, Devo is a male of the lead. Person. Oh, okay. And if if you... If you there, if there are two leads, a male and a female, you call them DV, which is the old Italian, you know, more than one, the plural. It sounds so simple like that. It is. It's so it much is. less dramatic than. <laughs> <laughs> oh, brava diva, brava diva! Yeah, all you're saying is, "Hey, good job, lady, good job." Instead of saying, "Oh, and welcome, Whitney Houston," right? The, yeah, exactly. The, yeah. the true diva. Um, oh, the true diva. Yes. So, um, if somebody wanted to to, to after hearing this said, Oh, I really like to explore opera. This sounds fascinating. Mm -hmm. Um, what would you suggest people as a, as a good kind of toe in the water to experience opera in a way that it would be accessible? Um, wow. That's a great question. Typically any major city, and we're talking anything from 
I actually any any city of with an arts council basically typically has either had an arts uh, opera company in the past or is primed and ready for one right now, especially in our times. Uh, look at the usually most opera companies have an education reach outreach or resource. Call the education resource and ask them if you don't know anybody that knows anything about opera. Call that education resource, and they'll tell you, this is great first opera. Oh, okay. Or we're doing a children's program at such and such a school on this day. Come on out. Be our guest. Experience at least what opera's all about through an educational standpoint. Then from there, if you've got pretty much anything Puccini, pretty much anything Mozart, um, definitely stay away from Wagner. I sing it. I love it. But stay away from it. It's really long and really convoluted. Mm. Uh, on the French side, I'd definitely say a Carmen um, would be a good first opera for most people. I'd say another German one would be Hansel and Gretel is another great one. Any of the children's operas that are actually strategically made for children. Now, are they done in the old German and the really dark and violent? Some they, can be. they modernized them? Some can be, and you have to look out for that, too. You have to ask ahead of time. Is this basically if I if this was a TV program, what would you rate this? Okay, it's always a good way of asking it. You know, oh, this is great. This is a great G show. You know, bring anybody, bring grandma. You know, whoever. Then there are some that are are plus. There are some that are pretty pretty out there because those original writings are pretty dark. Oh yeah, they're gruesome. Oh yeah, yeah. Know? And uh, SFO just did uh, several years back. They did one that I saw in Chicago, and I think it's done the Met. Yeah, it has done the Met now. The latest movie of of uh, Hansel and Gretel, they actually have a lot of of uh, prosthetics on the witch, and they actually do a whole food fight in there. And it's really a lot of fun, but it can get pretty gruesome. You have her eating people. I mean, it, it, it can be a, it can be a pretty pretty intense thing. Siegfried, for instance, kills a dragon. Uh, lots of murder and mayhem in opera. Lots and lots of murder and mayhem. That's what makes it fun, you know. No, you got me hooked. Um, what's your What's your favorite role? Or, or wow. I, I, I don't know. Like the role could be different than your favorite singing part right. too. So, I mean, if right. you want to talk about both, um, favorite that I've done. Wow, that is a tough question. I still love Mario Cavaradossi in Tosca. It's just a good, authentic, earthy kind of role. Uh, Love to Freischutz, which is Max. He's the it's the free shooter or the the magic magic bullet is another name for it. Um, great show, not done enough. Should be done more. Uh, Carmen, I love singing it. I love being the character of Don Jose. He's the only character in the entire show that actually changes from the beginning to the end of the show. Everybody else stays the same. Pretty tunes going on. Meanwhile, he's falling apart and just basically ends up, you know, a puddle on the floor. Uh, Wagnerian-wise, i got to admit, I still love Siegfried. Uh, it's the hardest opera in the world to sing for a tenor. It's, it's intense, it's long, it's loud. You know, bring popcorn. It, it, it's just a big show. It's huge. You kill a dragon, you kill a dwarf. Um, you know, life is good. Sounds fun. Yeah, it's great. You know, you get to you know get to cut an old man's walking stick in half, and you know it's pretty good. Do you ever find I, I I'm just seeing like my own experiences? Some of the stuff that I enjoy the most isn't necessarily the most pleasurable for other people. True. 
But for yeah, whatever reason, simple, yeah. it's just like, I just like, oh my God, I can't believe I did this. Right, right. And people are like, yeah, that's okay, but we really like, you yeah. know. Oh, yeah. I, I, to me, Carmen is one of those. Some people absolutely like, oh my God, this show bores the living Jesus out of me. And I'm like, yeah, but getting into it and actually becoming the character of Don Jose is a blast. It's great. But it's like, yeah, another pretty tune. Okay, another pretty tune. Okay. <laughs> Go to sleep after four hours of it, you know. No, that's that's one of those shows that you either love it or just okay. I'm really tired of it. I got to go away now. Is there anything that you haven't done that you really want to? Oh wow! <laughs> name literally all of the Wagner repertoire. Name all the big boy stuff in the French repertoire. Le Troyen, uh, the Italian stuff. Uh, anything, anything scaled fairly large is what I do now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't do any of the. Donizetti. I don't do any of the Bellinis anymore. I don't do any of the smaller roles. I did all of those years ago. And it's not it's not a um, nose-in-the-air Epicurean thing on my part. It's just some voices are literally sized and keyed better for certain things. I have a very Germanic voice. I mean, I fit what they call Helden Tenor, the heroic tenor. Mm. That's my stuff. That's I can sing that stuff every day, all day. I can't sing the little itty bitty squealy, uh, and yes, that is a real term, squealo, squealy. Okay. Uh, so this is a technical term. That's now. a technical term. Yeah. Right. Don't, don't again, no letters, please. Um, the little squealy stuff, uh, the Donizetti's and the the uh, Bellini's. You get a lot of these really fast, furious, flying notes everywhere, or the Handel stuff, or the Monteverdi stuff. Way back in the history of opera, I do not do that stuff well. Mm. I and it's not. It's not that I don't train for it or I couldn't do it. It's just I have a big, unwieldy kind of voice. It's just big. It's hard to pare back. And when you have to pull back vocally that much to make that stuff sound right, it doesn't come out. It just doesn't come out right. Leave that to the people that do that well. Yeah. Not everybody does everything well. That's, oh no, no, that makes perfect. I mean, because I've heard your your voice, and it is it's huge. Yeah, I mean, it's it, you. I mean, you have an epic sound. It's, it's just yeah. one of those sounds that fills up a room, it fills up a space, and yeah. really kind of digs into the corners and just pushes things around. And it's an earthquake on legs. Yeah, yeah. You know, whereas yeah. I I can't imagine doing those little tippy toe things. It's, yeah, yeah it doesn't. Yeah, it doesn't. That doesn't work. Yeah, that is, although I mean, I, there are some down at Setis, the Uno Fertiva Lagrima, and and those kinds of things. Elixir of Love I could still do, but that's one that Caruso did. Many and pretty much anything he did I can do. We're in that same area. Okay, we're in that same kind. Um, what are some things? I, I'm I'm kind of getting ready to kind of wrap things up here. Yep. And what are some? Is is there anything that we haven't talked about that are things that you feel are really important to know about you and your career? If somebody wanted to, to uh, learn more about you. Uh, I'm still going. Hire me. No, uh, no, we all, we all, I think the biggest thing about opera singers that everybody needs to know is most of us are common people that really enjoy a good story. All of us are basically trained storytellers. That's what we do for a living. Most of us don't have an ego the size of a barn. Most of us are actually pretty down to earth about it. Um, actually, we're more down to earth about what we do for a living nowadays than most of your pop stars you know there are some pop stars especially down in the la area that are like way inflated egos and most of the opera singers that i've come across that are major major names are probably the sweetest most authentic 
people you'll ever meet. In fact, one of them lives right on the island over here. Uh, I shouldn't actually mention her name. She's, right. she's toward she's toward retirement age now, but she we'll is one of the diva. sweetest. Yeah, there you go. She is one of the sweetest, most authentic, down to earth people you'll ever ever meet. Uh, another mezzo here in the area had some real problems with cancer, and this person came out immediately to support her, gave concerts for her to help pay for the bills, and just you know, we are a family. We are a family more so than pretty much any other entertainment business right now. We got to take care of each other. Yeah. I could, how has the business in itself been doing? I mean, is it that, um, the economic times? It's is, rough. Yeah. It's rough. I mean, since opera is such an expensive art form, uh, opera used to be run by impresarios that really loved it and enjoyed it for art's sake. They enjoyed making the art. They would come up with the money when needed to do certain things. Um, in this day and age, and I love them all, don't get me wrong, but it has become, quote-unquote, a business now, more so than ever. Mm-hmm. And when you start getting that business acumen, it's like, well, this person would be great, but they're so expensive. Well, there's a reason they're expensive, and the reason they're expensive is people will come and see them. So hire them, and you're going to get the money that you want. Right. But they think, well, no, the, the price is too high, so we're going to go third tier down. And then you get a good show, but not not that in a box of hair. It, it's okay, but it's not what it could be. You're not making that brilliant step to art. Um, when you start pushing the envelope a little bit, and you take something that was just your run-of-the-mill, traditional you know, $2.47 set, and you expand that and you put it on the moon or you do something different with it that's never been done before. That's exciting for a lot of people, not just the singers, but it's exciting to the audience in a lot of ways. Exciting in a positive way and a negative way. But the big thing is they're talking about it and they're feeling an emotion about it. Mm-hmm. Again, it comes back to invoking an emotion. But right now, I mean, opera companies are dropping left and right. Uh Boston lost their opera company, I think, last week. Um, Probably, I was trying to catch the numbers here before I came in, but I didn't get them in time. I think it's it's a really scary number. It's like a quarter of the opera companies in the United States went belly up in the last three years. Wow, that's... But the positive side of that coin is you know that they were there before, you know that there was a following there before for at least 5, 10, 15 years. There's no reason that a phoenix can't rise out of the ashes. And if people that do have a good artistic sense and a good business sense get together, as times progress, this can actually create new and bigger and better things. Quick, quick story is in Germany, World War II hit. First World War I, then World War II. They obviously had no money to produce any operas or anything else. So what the singers did was cut anything and everything they could out of the opera. And this is where, quote-unquote, Eurotrash originated. Okay, the idea of Eurotrash opera. Well, yeah, they went through all the trash and rubble. They put it on stage, and they simulated, basically, this is a building. Well, we've got a whole pile of bricks. Okay, there's a building. Uh, I am a dark and foreboding character. Great, I'm wearing a black turtleneck and black pair of pants. I am the angel of light. Okay, well, I'm wearing a white turtleneck and a white pair of pants. You know, <laughs> it, it, it's very symbolic. You're into That's the fantastic. symbolism idea of it now. But 
The key is they still produced opera. They still did it. And that's the thing that we haven't come around to is, okay, yeah, we're on a shoestring budget, but we can still do it. We need a pair back here and we need a pair back there, but we can still produce this. And when we, when we start coming to the idea of, okay, time to reinvent a few things, I, I think we'll be fine. I think so we'll it sounds grow. like maybe this could have a positive effect in the long run. In the long run, I think it will. In the long run, I think it will. Um, well, this has been great because I, I feel like in a lot of ways you've taken an, an art form that for me has always seemed just way too big to even car- try and comprehend. Right. or And really, in a, honestly, quite inex- inaccessible. Mm-hmm. And I feel like you've presented it in a very earthy way. Good. And in a way that I feel like I can access it. And I'm actually excited about it. Good. And I really appreciate that. Um, I, I know that you have a website, yep. uh, www.benbongers.com. Yep. If people are interested in seeing you play, I'm assuming that's where they would find that information. They can find some stuff there. They can go on YouTube, and I think i got a few things out there. Uh, I, I know I've got some stuff on you know, some of the German websites as well from some of the concerts in Switzerland and Italy and you know, wherever, whatever. But just yeah, Google me, and I'm sure I'm out there somewhere in the ether. I Honestly, I never check on myself, to be honest. I okay. never do. Um, and then are, are you still doing classes if people are interested in? Sure. Absolutely. Just uh, get it, get in contact with me through the website if you want to. And sure, I'm more than happy to come out and speak semi-intelligently about opera. I, I mean, I can, yeah, I can talk on the, yes, and on that last B-flat, I would do this. <laughs> and I'd rather talk to people that are just starting an opera and have never experienced one and kick back, relax, have a, you know, have a glass of beer, a glass of wine, and let's talk about what actually it is. Yeah. Bring it down to normal common people where it belongs. Cool. I don't think I've ever heard anybody talk about normal common people in opera in the same sentence, but <laughs> I, honestly, oh, after this, after talking with you today, I, I do feel that it really could be something for everybody. Oh yeah, which it is, is a very it's a good feeling. It has been for four hundred years. It yeah. didn't become Epicurean until it hit honestly the United States and became this thing that nobody could afford. Yeah, you go to Germany, you can still pick up a ticket for five bucks. Wow. Well, maybe that's what's going to happen in Boston and some of these cities Let's again, hope. which would be fantastic. Let's hope. Um, any final th- any final thoughts? Yeah, get out there and uh, get out there and enjoy it. I don't care if you enjoy it. Uh, enjoying it live is the best. There's an energy between the stage and the people. There's just an actual energy that you can feel, kind of like a cat rubbing up and down your leg. You, know, you actually <laughs> feel it. But if you can't get to a live performance, go on YouTube, watch it on TV, get a DVD, find a story you enjoy, and just just experience it. Just enjoy it. Cool. Well, thank you so much for coming out tonight. You are very welcome.
That was a great conversation and interview with Eric Kaur and Ben Bongers of Opera Fame. I'm your host, Dan Sauter. Thanks for checking out Music Life Radio, and we'll catch you next time.